um, yeah, cut. Okay, <laughs> I was under <laughs> wrecking. I don't know why. So welcome to Z DevOps Talks. Um, today we have a very special guest on, Luis uh, Carlos Silva. Luis is a cloud DevOps Z system solution architect as well as a senior product manager here at IBM. Um, currently he has ZDNT under his portfolio. Um, welcome, Luis. Oh, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. How how's it going, Luis? How are you doing today? I'm actually doing fine. Thanks for asking. I mean, it's a pleasant day here in Ottawa, sunny, not that warm, which is uh, probably a very nice day to go for walking after work. So yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a really nice, um, I would say we are almost there for the summertime. So yeah, for, for the yeah. ones here up north, it's, uh, it's always a good experience. Yeah. It is exciting that the weather is getting warmer and that you can actually have like pleasant walks now outside as opposed to <laughs> freezing cold, especially in Ottawa, because I know it gets really cold there. Oh, so. you actually get used to it, to be honest. Uh, you know, I came from a somewhat warm country and the previous country I was living in was Brazil. And um, Somewhat warm, he says. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> let's put it this way. Uh, in some places in Brazil, if it goes down below 24, 21 degrees Celsius, which basically today's temperature, they start using turtlenecks. So, <laughs> yeah. So, it is, it was uh, an interesting experience, but, you know, I like the idea of having four seasons, uh, even if for the Brazilian perspective, winter and, well, I'll say most of the, the fall, winter, and part of the spring for them, it's all winter. But for me, it's uh, it's interesting things changing, colors changing, and so on. It's really nice. Yeah, that's that's true. There is there is like a nice part that comes with different seasons as well. Mm -hmm. um, it was the same. I mean, I lived in Jamaica, so it was the same thing where it would like drop to like eighteen degrees, and people would have like their hoodies on and everything. It'd be so cold. But yeah, you don't get the beauty of like the seasons changing, which is which is really nice. Yeah, you, springtime is probably one of the best, not just because of the change from uh, gray, brown to green and colorful, but to see how people flourish. And when you go outside and you say, it's just five degrees. Oh, my God, it's so warm. Let me go in flip-flops. <laughs> it's kind of inconceivable when you're coming from a, a country like Brazil. For and sure. more than that, I was born in Angola. Which was to a certain extent as warm as Brazil is, so not more than the place I was born. So supposedly I would have the genes for the warm weather, but um, you know, I thrive in the cold weather. I love it. I love the snow. Mm. Some people are just built for it, you know. Well, yeah. I, well, I think so. I mean, I I I love to go snowshoeing. It's um, it's a hell of an exercise to start, but also the peace. I mean, everything is kind of monochromatic, whites and browns and grays, but at the same time, it's really peaceful. I mean, uh, the, the springtime is all about the sounds, you know, birds, critters, animals, and so on. But in the winter, it's it's just the snow. You're walking on the snow, like crunching snow, and that's it. You can hear your heart beating if you stand still. So, yeah. It's a very interesting experience. Okay, wow. hold on. 
I have <laughs> never, I haven't been more relaxed listening to a story than just then. That was amazing. New, new <laughs> podcast. This is Luis Carlos Silva talks. Tell yeah, us all about meditation it. Meditation with Luis. Yes, yeah, seriously. I was transported just there. That was crazy. Thank you, guys. Well, thank you. So speaking of which, um, not meditation or transport. Well, I guess transportation. Um, you said you lived in Brazil uh, before mm-hmm. you moved to uh, Canada, right? Um, did you go to university in Brazil? Uh, actually, yeah, I went to. Um, I studied physics because, you know, I wanted to understand how things work. And I kind of brought that with me, to be honest. I think the best thing I learned was how to solve problems. Uh, physics is still something I love. Actually, I love teaching, to be honest. Um, but eventually, in the middle of the way, I started playing with computers. Actually, uh, the department I was working uh, about studying had better computers than the, the IT folks because, you know, physics demands a lot. So we have more powerful computers, uh, access to very new well, back in the day, we're talking about, uh, you know, the, the 80s, you know, last century. So, <laughs> well, <laughs> that was 40 old. years ago now. Can you believe <laughs> exactly. it? Exactly. So I was exposed to a lot of interesting technologies and more than that, how to think and how to get a problem, break it in chunks and put it in a computer. I started learning uh, object um Objects, um, you know, instead of going to the traditional um, way of building software, I went to uh, modeling uh, through objects and so on. So it was interesting because I learned the end state. And then when I started learning, you know, the, the foundation, everything clicked into in place. And I said, oh, no, I understand why a class is like this. Oh, Instead of me growing on top of something and then having to break my, you know, break all the concepts apart and and having to learn how an object was supposed to look, I got the other way around. So it was interesting. I was born in Linux, Unix back then, and then I learned how the other things worked. And yeah, and kind of brought that with me again. It's this. So went to university in Brazil, um, and you—that's so cool. Physics to IT computing, um, based on sort of like an object-oriented way of thinking. That's that's yep. really interesting. So like, all right. So so you, your your fiance um, says get a job, right? And you do, and then she ditched me. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so 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 then so. You so then you moved up to to Canada or were you were you oh, with no, IBM no. at the time or what happened? Actually, how, how did you get to um, where you're at? Well, I started working with a small company that was selling back in the day uh, IDs, uh, something that was actually a competitor of a well-known tool called Rhodes that eventually was became Rational Rhodes. Okay, and sure. Eventually, be, uh, it was acquired by IBM, but I started in. IDE space, um, then I transitioned to eventually to a, a rational itself. But I was in Brazil, and because I speak Spanish, I start also covering Latin America then. Um, 
when I decided to specialize not on IDs, I kind of thought of IDs what interesting, but what other things that I should learn about how software was built. And I went into the software control management tools um, back in the day. Well, it still exists. It's a, call, a tool called ClearCase and ClearQuest and so on. But that was fun. It was a very fun one until we were acquired by IBM. And that day, well, just a little bit after, I said, you know what? I work for the mainframe company. We own this space. Let me learn it. Why not? Well, it's just another box. Let's play with it. Which again, uh, lucky and smart decision, I would say, because ClearCase was offering or start offering a um, version that we run on, on the mainframe space. So it's kind of trying to become a competitor to, to the traditional SCM tools. And that was interesting because I became one of the few in the world that knew that, know how to handle um, SCM in any kind of platform, Windows, Linux, uh, mainframe, and so on. Would, and then, I, again, because I speak Spanish, Eventually, they sent me to a short assignment in Spain. So I spent nine months in Spain helping the Spaniards um, on this particular subject. So learning how to use it, selling to some customers and so on. Then, since I'm already out there, and I am Portuguese anyway, so I can uh, I could live in Europe easily. I told my manager and say, you know what, I may be considering to stay. And he's, he's, he was Canadian, or he is too long, so he's Canadian. He said, you know what? Come and work with me in Canada. I said, oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> you know what? And then, yeah, um, more than that, I think 13 years ago, maybe more, uh, we moved to Canada, uh, my wife and I. So, yeah, it was, it was interesting. Um, English is not my first language. So, you know, my first in Nemesis was... The pronouns, then <laughs> I finally, I think I learned how to use them. And now the prepositions, that still haunts me, you know. Uh, and of course, some really old phrasal verbs and strange things like uh, no time, no see. For the, the Portuguese <laughs> speaking <laughs> folks, this phrase makes no sense. <laughs> Well, that's, I think that's you're doing it. a pretty great job by all accounts. Like, I would have no idea that, you know, the English came to you later. It's a fun language. I mean, it's not what you see, what you get. That's very different from <laughs> when you have to read or speak. But, yeah, I, I kind of love it. Uh, now, even more than that, I love hearing the different accents, mm -hmm. you know, Australians, New Zealand, Spain, um, Scotland, Ireland. They are, they're different and fun in the way they speak. So, yeah, uh, it became kind of uh, an interesting hobby in how to learn to speak a better English. So I actually, and this is this is very interesting, I have a friend um, who is also in IT. Um, he's more on the distributed side, um, who's from Brasilia uh, originally, mm -hmm. that learned, so he came to the U.S. with no, no U.S. language skills, and this is what he told me he did. He told me that he actually learned to speak English by just going to the movies constantly and mm -hmm. watching movies. Is that like, 
how, so I'm I'm saying that to say, um, do you find like watching film or anything? Did that help? Because I'm I'm actually oh, trying yeah. to learn a couple of languages myself, and I'm looking for any tips I can get. There were two ways for me to improve um, in English. The first thing you usually get is how to read more than even write is read because it's just there. You need to understand the context. You don't necessarily need a lot of vocabulary. So yeah, that was the first thing. So I forced myself to read as much as I could. This is even before uh, moving to Canada because English was already something important. This actually backs to today and uh, university time. Then the next step is you start writing a little bit here and there. Usually speak comes last. Um, and the reason it has to do with this agility that you need to have. Um, on, it's expected that you, you will usually start translating to your mother language back and forth uh, until you start getting the necessary speed and agility to, 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 <laughs> to be able to have a conversation with someone. Hmm, interesting. Very similar to, uh, to diving into uh, the MBS world, right? Oh, yes. <laughs> that wasn't, again, good. thanks for bringing it up. Uh, it is, again, the same way I learned backwards um, how, the, how to model software, I learned main, uh, um, the platforms backwards as well. Mainframe was my last one. I mm. already had mastered the other two, or three, if you call Linux different from Unix. Um, and then it was kind of a shock because I said it looks at the same time very old. And at the same time, when you really look carefully, it is the foundation of a lot of things we do today. I mean, even cloud. Oh, yeah. If you look at cloud today, what they're trying to accomplish, the whole scalability, the whole control, mm-hmm. uh, security, they're trying to mimic mainframe. What mainframe does, what ZOS does. To a certain extent, of course, it's more modern, more uh, elastic, whatever you call it. It, it is. I won't, I'll give you that. But at the end, the, the core, what you're trying to accomplish, you know, the vertical, the horizontal scalability, the vertical scalability, uh, and, and, you know, grow as you need back and forth, even the way you'll be charged, you know, pay as you go and so on, you can find that it has roots on the mainframe technology. But again, it's expected. We humans usually build on top of some in technologies. We learn and we enhance, so it's expected. But the key here is mainframe is not necessarily an old thing. Mainframe is actually quite advanced. Uh, Look at the the hardware, look at the ships, CPUs. Our CPUs are, High-end, really high-end. I mean, uh, mainframe is built for a purpose. It's a fit-for-purpose uh, platform. And what it does, it does really, really well. So we are now moving towards, as I say, cloudy things. Mainframe is moving towards that. Um, we can today have one phrase that has mainframe, ZOS, cloud containers in the same the same phrase. It is feasible. It is possible today. So um, I would I love to tell people that yes, mainframe, even the way they speak in a, in a kind of movie. Oh, he basically broke into the mainframe. It's, it's, you know, 
old thing or powerful, all powerful being out there. Well, not true, but it's still what actually runs the world. I mean, no matter what they say, if we remove all the mainframes today, I'm sorry, you're not going to buy anything. Oh yeah, total yeah. collapse at the mainframe. I had a, um, I knew someone that um, whose significant other worked at a a large bank, and uh, this person said, uh, the significant other said that uh, if if the main if the mainframe went down for at this at this particular you know financial institution um, for a total of twenty four hours. Um, mm-hmm they and all their subsidiaries would be chapter 11 bankrupt done like it ceased to exist um after literally maybe eight to ten of those hours so it'd just be a complete collapse i'll say this is the good and the bad thing i mean is the is, is a good thing that we are this relevant but it's also at the same time uh, a bad thing because people don't realize how important it is and for the sake of the change, for the sake of the new shining thing, let's just try to move out of it. So it, as I said, it's a platform fit for purpose. It's not a silver bullet. A non-platform is not even cloud. Cloud now is learning how much it costs to run. And we'll figure out very, very soon, actually it's popping up right now in the media, how much customers are overpaying for capacity. It's not that they're being, you know, uh, our cloud providers are trying to, you know, squeeze money out of them. No, it's because they really don't know how to measure and how to run things that well. We never, we never did, to be honest. Everything that is complex, usually it's out of our comprehensive, it's out of our control to a certain extent. Is how much it's out of our control in specific on, on cloud space that today it's becoming more and more um, obvious and say in public. So again, cloud is, is here to stay, not stay on the rise. It is. I'm actually one of my titles is to in, is an, uh, to be an advisor on the cloud space for for the Z DevOps team. So I love cloud, but as I said, it's not a silver bullet. It has its own space. And mainframe can and will coexist in the same space. Will help each other. I'm, I'm sure about that. Okay, so you seem quite passionate about the mainframe space. Um, I would love to hear a little bit more about what you're doing right now in terms of mm-hmm. your, your role at IBM and, and you know if you can speak a little bit about ZD&T as well. Well, um, there are... Very interesting things being cooked up in the lab. Unfortunately, some I won't be able to know to talk about. But the gist of it is, one of my products is a emulator of the mainframe hardware. The same way that we have VMware emulating x86 platforms, I own a product that emulates the mainframe x9x platform. This means that you can run anytime on top of a notebook. A, your own mainframe. So a mainframe for you to call your own. It will run ZOS on it, the real ZOS, the real gigs, the real DB2, and so on. So it is a product built for the developer, for the tester. And the reason why it exists is, 
as I said, mainframe is becoming more and more modern regarding uh, how development happens, how we run uh, workloads or applications and so on. So the expectation is that each developer has its own uh, environment, the same way that we have in the distributed world. So we can um, give to them something that they can customize for their needs. So mm-hmm. that basically means that this complexity that today people have associated to mainframe and ZOS, it's going away. It's basically becoming more and more a, I won't say staple, but close to it. I mean, it's becoming more and more part of your development life. Um, you just use it, and when you don't need it, you just destroy it, you just delete it. So that is what, in a nutshell, what ZDNT is. It's your personal uh, sandbox, ZOS sandbox, that you can use for development, tests, uh, unit testing, and so on. And more mm-hmm. than that, it can be customized to your needs and be part of your pipeline, your DevOps pipeline, if you need. Really interesting. So, so, so ZDNT is, and let me just recap it. And you tell me if I'm right. A an em, an emulator of ZOS that would be on your say laptop or your work machine, right? Number mm-hmm. one. Number two, it's built to be used by the developer. Is there anybody else that could do? do would students of the mainframe use this? Oh. Are there any like educational things going on, or is it mm-hmm. you know for you said yeah. for testing, right? Yeah, that's actually something we are working on. It's ability to offer something for students, hobbies, practitioners to play with. Yes, it is it's one of the ZDT perspectives. It is for sure education. We, we want to spread the word. I mean, awesome. um, the best way I'll describe this, I want mainframe ZOS to be just another guy in the crowd. Maybe the best one or the best one for a specific task, but it's there. It should be no different from, you know, my Ubuntu. Mm. So, yes, uh, we, we have uh, intention to make it as broadly available as possible. Okay. Um, now, so, so, right. So, this sounds like a great idea, right? Now, I know that one of the, you know, I don't, I guess you could, uh, you could like um, compare this to like the top fighter pilot in the Air Force. Um, mm-hmm. How like there's there's the job of the developer, and then you've got the systems programmers, right? And yes. they're like your your yeah your your tip top, the hardest job is what I've always heard. Um, again, I'm not saying that that is, but I've just I know that I from what little I know of of systems administration, it's a tough job. Is ZDNT hard to use like that? Like, do you have to be a ZOS? Uh, do you have to be um you know a sys a sysprog to use it? Oh no, not at all. Actually, one of our objectives is to. For the developers, for example, is to hide to hide as much as possible the operational system complexity. Of course, uh, as you said, not necessarily ZDNT is just for developers. Um, you can have system programmers uh, using this to train themselves and uh, you know learn new things, new tricks, test some hypotheses. Uh, you can have testing uh, uh, testers also um, running their tests and so on. Um, you have several personas, that's what I call it, that are uh, capable of having, of getting something out of ZDNT. 
Okay. And the great, I mean, the level complexity has to do with actually what you're doing, but it's not different from the distributed world. Not necessarily we should expect that a Java developer knows all the details of how the Linux kernel works or the actual Linux operational system itself. Um, sometimes you're just a developer. And so the idea, and again, it made a little bit also became a perception more than reality. We are trying to hide as much as we can the ZOS um, complexity for the ones who don't need to know or work or, you know, have that particular uh, exposure. But here's an interesting kick. Um, we went to this phase of development life where everything was graphical interface. Now, with, you know, this brand new world, Kubernetes oriented and so on, we're back to the common line. And guess what? Hmm. Mainframe was mainly in the beginning of common line and still is to a certain extent. So for intents and purposes, it shouldn't scare anyone. I mean, hmm. as long as you know how it works, you know, you've been trained or you learn by yourself, it's no different. It's common line. Huh. Maybe we will be restricted to the, the, the size of the screen, but still, it's not that different. So, so ZDNT, for, it's for anyone. Shouldn't be afraid of it. Um, what's, what's new with ZDNT? Is there any, any kind of hot topics or anything cool we can, we can touch on oh, yeah. real briefly? Oh, yes. Um, again, remember when I said we could have a phrase... Uh, mainframe, uh, containers, cloud, and so on, then yeah, yes. here we go. Uh, ZDNT today allows you to deploy um, a machine so it um, virtualizes ZOS on your personal computer, fine, mm -hmm. but also allows you to do that as a container against a, a, a Docker registry or uh, as a container on, against uh, Kubernetes um, environment like OpenShift, Red Hat OpenShift. So okay. you could, let's say if it's an enterprise grade, if your company is willing to embrace uh, cloud-based infrastructure, there's no problem whatsoever to run your personal instance for as long as you need it on a cluster on OpenShift, even if this cluster is actually hosted on some uh, public cloud like Amazon or right. Azure. Awesome. And this is new, right, Luis? This is like relatively new in terms of uh, ZDNT? Oh, indeed it is. I mean, uh, we we have actually, I'll call it a sibling of ZDNT called Wazi Sandbox, which was uh, born um, a year ago, was built for OpenShift. But ZDNT itself offers another feature called, we call provisioning tools. It's basically this tool that allows you to orchestrate ZOS images. So mm -hmm. you can go to a existing ZOS uh, machine, extract the machine itself, or so the whole ZOS, like you're just backing up the whole uh, operational system or just part of it or just a folder on it, we call it a data set. And then uh, eventually create, as I said, a bespoke custom image, ZOS image, and deploy it somewhere. That somewhere, again, can be on a cloud. So yeah. that particular tool uh, was uh, enhanced in the last uh, couple of months to understand uh, what we call cloud-based images. It's basically ZOS images that can be hosted on the cloud 
and more specific in this case on a uh, OpenShift cluster. So it understands how, what to do behind the scenes. So you only thing you have to do is to say, here's the image, how I want it to be, make it happen. And then at right. the end when it finishes, and you have the ZOS running. What uh, sort of what led to this innovation? Why is this exciting? And why did we come up with this to begin with? Hmm. Love the question. So about five years ago, give or take a year, customers were in the same mainframe customers in this case, most. They were asking themselves, should I DevOps? Should I embrace DevOps? Is that really something that will bring us any benefit? You know what? Now the question is not should I DevOps, but you know, how to DevOps, when to DevOps. It's important. I have to. Um, the companies, the enterprise itself change that this, you know, distributed and mainframe teams are not supposed to be that different. We should use the same pipeline. We should use the same agile uh, process and so on. Mm-hmm. The same thing is happening with cloud. Enterprise are now moving from if cloud into when cloud also in the mainframe space. So you can right. see even in the mainframe, a lot of movement towards that. We now support native containers on ZOS. So we we have this, uh, as I said, mainframe, it's not that it's not even close to it. As you know, they told mainframe last one to be uh, turned off by 1996, I guess. And yeah. guess what? It grew a lot more after that. So um and so that's it's not the, going anywhere. It's here oh, to no, stay. not at all. And that's the beauty. And I think it's beautiful of not just the mainframe, it's the beauty of IBM. We have the ability and the will to reinvent ourselves every time. We did this a couple of times in the past and we keep doing it. And I don't expect any difference from the mainframe space. So yes, um, we, in the, we have today customers now considering and actually asking us how we can have in the same phrase cloud containers and mainframe. And more than that, how I can develop using a cloud-based infrastructure, right. uh, some software that we actually end up running on the mainframe space, but at the same time, has a front end that happens to run on a cloud as well, on some hybrid cloud. And because of DevOps, they all need to go together. It's the mm-hmm. same. It's just, you know, it's, it's supposed to be. I mean, it should not be no different. Yeah. Well, my next question, which kind of naturally goes from here, is, you know, do you have anything coming up that you can talk about in terms of ZDNT, any new developments that you're working on? Um, yeah, I'll, I'll, unfortunately, I'm going to have to do this in broad strokes. I can't actually say much. But, yes, we, ex- yeah. we want to go deeper and deeper into the support in cloud. Okay. Uh, as a means for you to run uh, what you have and aligning with IBM strategy of hybrid cloud. So in, that means we should be available in, in any um, thing that we could call cloud eventually. So that is one, one uh, strategic direction for sure. We also want to start experimenting with some specific uh, the way that cloud works and behaves and people interact with cloud. So 
uh, I, I think our tools eventually will be more cloud friendly or by cloud friendly mm-hmm. I mean aligned to the way that cloudy things work. <laughs> cloudy things, <Yeah>. right. <laughs> Well, yeah, I think that is the future. And I think that that's a good direction for ZDNT to head in. Um, so when can I expect a new, like the next release for ZDNT? What's on the horizon in terms of, you know? Here's another interesting, another interesting thing about uh, IBM and more specific about our DevOps team. We are agile for quite some time. We're actually on a CICD pipeline delivering every quarter or so, sometimes even more than more frequent than that, a new mm-hmm. release. So a new release actually comes out now in July 9th. And usually we have, as I said, at most a, a quarter, a couple of months between one release and another. So it is actually quite frequent. And as I said, we embrace uh, agile development um, internally. So we drink our own champagne, actually. Um, yeah, before we let you go, Luis, do you have any, you know, anything in regards to ZDNT or in general that you might want the audience to check out that we can, you know, post links about in our podcast as well? Oh, yeah, well, we do have a, um, a set of videos on um, IBM Media Center. So I think if you're already um, playing with ZDNT, it's really worth it to play and take a look more specific because it does show, it's just very short ones. But it does show how our provision tools uh, works, so you can see the benefits and what you can do it. Um, okay. But in general, what I would say is, for the ones who are not necessarily into the mainframe space, uh, don't assume that the the fact that it's been alive for more than fifty years means it's old. It actually has. It has proved itself several times that is as advanced as it, uh, most of the technology out there. So is Alex, I think it's worth of a, uh, give it a try. And again, you don't need to buy, you know, this big uh, 42U hack uh, mainframe, in, you know, in a, on eBay to play with a mainframe. You know, we have a Z trial that you can, you know, play with um, several other tools, including ZDNT available for free. So, yep, just Google Z trial and um, you're good to go. Okay, we'll definitely uh, add that in in our our, like links section for the podcast. Um, But thank you so much, Luis. Thank you for your time and thank you for joining us today and, uh, you know, uh, kind of letting us into the world of of mainframe cloud and ZDNT and how ZDNT supports that. So, yeah, looking forward to, to chatting with you again. Thanks, Thanks Luis. Thanks. Oh, my pleasure. Anytime.